Wow. Even before I say anything, you even uh, you, you act like you like me. That's good. But, well, you know, actually, um, we're old friends. I don't know if you know that or not. And uh, have you ever? Do you have those friends in your life that you don't see them for years, but as soon as you get back together with them, you just pick up right where you left off. You know, it's like you don't have that awkward time where you have to kind of reacquaint yourselves with them. Well, that's who you are with me. I mean, we we've we've got history. Uh, it's been about ten years since we've seen each other, though. And, you know, we, we do have history with Horizon Church, and, and I don't mean the building, because quite frankly, <laughs> your building changed on me, all right? This is not the building that I'm familiar with. But, you know, the church is not the building. You're aware of that, aren't you? You are the church. You are that wonderful bride being prepared for a wedding day with the, your Lord Jesus. And, and that, that's the friendship I have with you. you, you, you I know you. I, I don't know your faces very well. Some are very familiar. You know, I see Doug over there. You know, Doug and I, we, I used to come down here and we'd go out and do high school assemblies. And then within a week, <coughs> in a week, we'd be in a dozen of the high schools in this area speaking to thousands of the teenagers and, uh, and just doing some great ministry together. And, and the last time I was here was uh, almost 10 years ago on Father's Day. And on Father's Day, and uh, Roger had mentioned that we ride bicycles across America. And I'm going to get back to this uh, Father's Day thing because of the connection to it. Now, we do ride bicycles across America. Mine is technically not a bicycle because it has three wheels. Do not call it a tricycle. <laughs> it, uh, it must be pride or something. I know it's a fault in me, but I don't ride a tricycle, okay? Get this straight. I do not ride a tricycle. It's called a hand cycle. Design, yeah, it's got three wheels, I'll give you that. But it's designed for people who can't use their legs, have two arms, you pedal it with your arms like this. And I'm thinking of a man with two arms can do this. I can do it half as well. <laughs> and that's your math problem for the day. Ten years ago when I was in your church, I, I, was, I, was, uh, I, I ministered, to your ministered to you, and then I was praying with people up at the frontier afterwards, and got into a conversation with a gentleman, and I'd mentioned that I was looking for a particular hand cycle, something that I, I, I'd read about and that I got my heart all set on, and I was talking to him about it, and he said, well, I have a friend that actually is a rep for that same company that you're looking for, and uh, actually has a bike that sounds exactly the way, like what you're looking for, that he has as a, as a demo bike that he'd like to get rid of at a reasonable price. And that's when I got my first hand cycle. So you are going to share in the blame on this, okay? You guys have got to share in the blame, especially for the day that I came home to my wife. I'd been riding my bike for a couple of years. I was getting out on it, getting excited about it. And I came home to Darla one day, and I said, Hun, 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 I got this really big idea. Now, you married ladies in the room have seen this before, haven't you? And so, uh, you, know, you know, I don't know how you deal with it. I know how Darla deals with it. But I come home and say, hon, I got this really big idea. Hun, you're going to love this one. This is my best one. This is the best one I've ever had. Listen, hon, this is what, here's what I'm thinking. We get on our bikes. We get on our bikes. Oh, no, no, hon, this is, let's make it bigger than this. The kids. We get the kids on the bikes. Me, you, the kids. We get on the bikes and we ride them across America. <laughs> she looked at me. She said, riding bicycles across America. 
with the children. That's interesting. And then she did something that all of you ladies do when us men come home with our big ideas. And your man is not going to call you on it, but I'm, I'm in a safe zone here. I'm going to speak up for him today. Ladies, you do something that really bothers us men when we come home with our really big ideas. You apply logic and reason <laughs> to our really big ideas. And this is what Darla does. She says, don't you think we ought to ride our bicycles across the state first? before we try riding them across our nation? Okay, it's logical, reasonable. Well, we tested our theory out. We tested our thing out of going across our state, and we realized we probably could, you know, attempt riding bicycles across America. And then we decided to figure out what are we riding our bicycles across America for? And I know that would have come up in your conversation a lot sooner, but this is when it came up in our conversation. Why, why would we do this? Why would we do this? What cause? What are we riding for? What's our purpose? And we need to find purpose when we set out to do things, don't we? Because you're going to have to have a purpose that's strong enough to keep you going when the going gets tough. And there were many purposes that we could have ridden for, even with our own family, even with our own small circle, without even drawing a big circle, we could find causes. Cancer, different diseases, amputations. Draw the circle bigger around your community. You can find the homeless. You can find the hungry. And we're looking at this long list of reasons and causes and purposes that we can ride for, and it became overwhelming because, quite frankly, we didn't have a cure for any of it. We didn't have enough money to solve the problems. And then again, how are we going to pick out one cause without offending all the other causes? But you know what we found out we did have? We have hope. We have hope in a God that is very aware of every single circumstance that we are in. We have hope in a God that is not only aware of those circumstances, he actually cares about us enough to be involved, to be with us, we have hope in Christ. But we also need to have the courage to use that hope to face the mountains that are in front of us. We decided that would be our ride. That is what we wanted to share with America, hope and courage. Your hope is in Christ, but you need to have the courage to use that hope to face your mountains. And that's what we decided we would ride for. Now, we just finished our second ride across America this summer. We went from uh, Long Beach, California to um, Jacksonville, Florida, sharing this message of hope and courage. But today, I want to tell you stories from our first ride in 2008, which was directly involved with the bicycle that I got the last time I came to this church, okay? That's why I say you are sharing in the blame on this one, all right? Take a little heat off of me from Darla on this, because uh, you guys were instrumental in me getting on that bicycle for the first time. So, May 17, 2008, we started off on our first Hope and Courage across America. I had a schedule, I had a plan, and just in case there's any doubt in this room, I was in charge. Everybody got that? I had a schedule, I had a plan. 
I was in charge. The plan was that we would leave our hometown of Gig Harbor, Washington on May 17th, pedal across America, the northern tier of the United States, and end up at the Statue of Liberty on September 11th. We had lined out churches for just about every Sunday along the way to minister in, and we'd had a route planned. We left May 17th. Three days out, we hit Snoqualmie Pass. Snoqualmie Pass will prove to be the toughest mountain that we will face on our journey across America. And we hit it three days out. When God has put upon your heart to do something great, when God gives you a project, when God calls you to something larger than yourself, when you want to reach out and do something for the kingdom, you're going to hit your biggest mountains early on. You're going to face your biggest struggles in the beginning. You ever try to figure out why that is? I know you've all seen it at one time or other in your lives. You ever tried to figure that out? Where, where, why am I facing this mountain? Where did this mountain come from? And if we were to discuss it this morning, we'd end up with two, two camps, two, two thoughts. On this side, you might argue that, you know, that mountain that is in front of you right now, as you're facing this struggle, that mountain is put there by the enemy of your soul. Satan himself has planted that there as an obstruction to what you plan to do. Because he knows the good that, this can, that can come from this. He knows the glory that can come to the kingdom of God if you succeed at what you're attempting right now. So he's putting this mountain in front of you now because he wants to stop you before you get going. Is that a fair argument, folks? Fair argument? Okay, let, let, me, let, me, let me talk to this side of the room. How about over here? How about, couldn't you say that, no, 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 it's not from the enemy. That mountain is put there by God himself, by our Lord and our Savior, who is very aware of our circumstances, very aware of our condition. He has put this mountain in our road now because he needs to condition us. We need to get a little stronger. We need to be tested and tried up front because he knows what's on the road ahead. And he knows we're not ready. Is that a fair argument? Okay. Well, now what am I going to do? I got this side of the room saying one thing, this side of the room saying the other thing. Let's just be honest, folks. Let's get together on this. If you are facing a mountain, even right now in your life, if you are facing a struggle, a burden, a mountain, to you, does it really matter who put the mountain there or where it came from? Does that matter? You got to deal with it. It's in front of you. And if it makes you feel better to think that it came from the enemy, think that. If it makes you feel better to think that it came from God himself, think that. If that helps you through the day. The reality is it doesn't matter. You got to deal with it. Three days out, Snoqualmie Pass. The first morning we wake up to face the mountain, the power went out in our RV that we would live in for the next four months, and I had to deal with it. it. Took all day to get a tech out there to get it fixed up, but at the end of the day, we had our RV working, but we'd lost a day of riding. But I'd planned for that. I didn't plan for the power to go out. I didn't know what it would be, but I did build a day in there for, for something, right? So it's okay. I still got a schedule. I got a plan, and don't, don't make any mistake about it. 
I'm in charge. Day two, we wake up. It's storming, raining hard. That's all right, I planned for that too. We had rain gear. And I made them put it on. Now, my team, I should tell you who the team was in 08. Well, it was my family. It was my family. It was my wife, Darla, our 19-year-old daughter, Nicole. She was 19 at the time. She was a nursing student up at uh, Northwest University up there in Kirkland. Our son, Grant, who was 16 at that time, and our daughter, Chanel, who was 10. My sister, Jean, came along to help us uh, keep camp and watch Chanel on the days she couldn't ride. That was my team. I told the riders, I said, put your rain gear on. This is what we bought it for. Oh, you should have seen us. We were comical. Big, loud nylon pants, bright yellow jackets, gloves, the goggles, the helmets. Oh, we were a sight. And we took off pedaling. Now, to go over Snoqualmie Pass on a bicycle, you go over the same road that the uh, tr cars and trucks go through. You go I-90, Interstate 90, over the pass. We're pedaling up in this here rainstorm up I-90, and we're not the only thing on I-90. As I said, cars and semi-trucks. Now, are there any truck drivers in this room? Let me just say this right now. We love you. <coughs> Seriously, we love you. Truck drivers were our best and most constant friends when we traveled across America on bicycles. We saw them everywhere we were. In fact, the long-haul guys, the cross-country guys, by the time we made it across, they'd gone back and forth five or six times, and they'd seen us five or six times. So they'd always honk and give the friendly honk, and you know, there is a difference. <laughs> they'd give the friendly honk, you know, and the wave, and tell their buddies, you know, kind of keep your heads up. You got something interesting coming your way. We love truck drivers. The only issue that I might have with truck drivers is that you drive guys drive vehicles that have 18 wheels. And on a rainy road, those 18 wheels throw up a lot of water. And as we're pedaling up the side of I-90, every semi-truck that came by threw a wall of water on us and would throw another wall of water on us. Now, this wonderful rain gear that I had purchased and planned for was beautifully designed for water that comes from the sky. It was a little weak on the water that comes from the side. And before long, the water is finding all the nooks and the crannies and getting down, and we're soaked to the skin. But I'm stubborn, and I don't want to give up another day riding, and we need to make miles. So I'm yelling in the forum, I'm pushing them ahead, pushing them ahead. Every time a truck comes by, that wall of water would hit me, but I'm on a three-wheeled bicycle. I'm on a three-wheeled thing. All it does is get me wet. But I'm watching my family with every semi-truck that comes by and that wall of water hits them. It's rocking their bikes. And after a while, I'm beginning to get worried. I'm getting concerned. It's only a matter of time before some truck is going to hit just enough water to knock them down off their bikes. And I knew that I was responsible. This was my family. They were in my care. And I had to make a tough decision. I hollered up ahead. I said, get off the road. Get off the road. Take the next exit. We can't go any further on this mountain today. We called the support truck. We, the truck came up. We threw the wet bikes in the back. We threw the wet bodies in the front. And we headed back down the hill. And I'm getting discouraged. 
we go into a little restaurant to kind of warm up, get something to eat and regroup. And, and we're sitting at this table and I've got my team, my family, my family is my team. I got, I, we're, we're sitting at this table. I'm sitting at the head of the table because I am in charge. And next to me, I have my 19-year-old nursing student, Nicole. And next to her is her brother, Grant. Down at the end of the table is Jeannie. And next to them, between Jeannie and her mom is, is Chanel, which was one of her most favorite places to be on the whole trip. And there's Darla next to me, and then there I'm at the head of the table again. And I'm getting discouraged, but I can't show it. Because I've got this attitude as the leader that I can't let people know what I'm really afraid of. I can't let them know what I'm really thinking. Because if they really knew what was bothering me at this moment, all morale would fall down, and we're too close to home, they'll run back. And I'm thinking I got to keep it all inside, but I got to com complain to somebody, right? I got to grumble about to somebody. You know who I start grumbling to? God. Have you ever done that? And I'm thinking, the nerve, right? I'm grumbling to God. But I can't help it. I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm, and I'm just thinking to myself, God, what, what is going on, Lord? What are you doing? I'm trying to do something for your kingdom, right? It's hope and courage across America. Remember my beautiful little message? Put your hope in Christ. Have the courage to do something. Come on, God, I'm telling everybody I know. It's not Bob Mortimer across America. I'm trying to avoid that. I'm trying to do this for you. I'm trying to do something for the kingdom. We've put a lot of time and resources into this, and all I'm doing is I'm getting power problems. I'm getting rained on. I'm getting stormed on. I'm soaked to the gill. I can't even make it over the very first mountain. My 19-year-old daughter interrupts my conversation with God. She just nudges me. She goes, hey, Dad, Dad, that baby over there is choking. And I looked across the room at this table, and this baby had gotten something lodged in its throat, and my daughter knew it before the mother knew it. Oh, but trust me, folks, the mother knew this soon enough because in an instant, the mother is jumping up out of her seat, screaming, something is wrong with my baby. Somebody's got to help me, help me. And my 19-year-old daughter got up out of her chair, went over, grabbed the baby out of the mother's arm, flipped it over, did something she just learned in college called a pediatric Heimlich maneuver. Slaps the baby on its back. Something dislodges from its throat. The baby just starts wailing. Ten minutes later, I looked over at that table and I see that little kid eating applesauce. And do you know what I learned? I don't have a schedule. I don't have a plan. And I am not in charge. God had to storm us off of that mountain. He had to send semi-truck after semi-truck up I-90 until I would finally get discouraged enough that I would call it off get back in that truck and get down that hill because you know what God knew? You know what God knew? God knew that there was going to be a baby in a restaurant at the bottom of that hill that somebody on our team was going to keep alive. I'll tell you what, folks, when you can get to that point, when you can realize that God is truly in charge of it all, and when the struggles and the little things come up and the irritations and the things that are seen to be throwing you off your plan are just about to the point to make you quit, well, you know what? God is in control. 
and he knows what you don't know. And we sometimes just need to yield to him and let him put us in place for whatever he has going on. This ride is yours, God. It's not mine. You take the lead. The next day, 55 degrees, cloudy, no rain. Folks, if you're going to pedal anything over Snoqualmie Pass, and I would question why you would do that as much as you would question why I would do that. If you were going to pedal anything over Snoqualmie Pass, 55 degrees, cloudy, no rain, the perfect day. I said, come on, family, let's see if we can do it today. We headed out. It's 22 miles to the top, 22 miles to the peak. First 15 miles go like this, last seven miles go like this. I'm clipping along. My hand cycle, you ought to see this hand cycle, it's so cool. You pedal it with your hand. You know, where the thing that your foot might normally be on on a regular bicycle, my hand is on that with a little special grip put on it, and you crank it like this. It's right out in front of me, turning the front wheel. It's got 27 gears. I can, uh, hand brakes right there on the, uh, on, on the handle, and I've also got all my gear shifters right there on the handle. You do all that just from one side. I modified it so I could work with just one hand, 27 gears. First 15 miles, I'm clipping along, watching my speedometer, five, six miles an hour, averaging five, six miles an hour, nice steady incline up the hill. We hit that last seven. I start shifting my gears. I'm start clicking them down, clicking them down. The man who sold me the bike said I had something called an easy gear. I never found it. <laughs> but I'm watching my speedometer, right? Five miles an hour, four miles an hour, three miles an hour, two miles an hour. And I've lost all my momentum. And what that means is if you're not riding bikes and doing anything like that, that means the only way this bike moves forward is by me physically pushing it and then getting my hand around to the other, around the apex there and pulling it back. So I have to push it and pull it to keep any forward motion at all. I've got to have continual strain upon my arm to make it go forward two miles an hour. The kids ride on. They're good, good riders. They can ride five, six miles an hour up the steep part of the mountain. Darla, she could ride with the kids. Darla could ride ahead of the kids, okay? <laughs> She's our best. She's our best rider. But Darla doesn't. Darla stays back and rides with me. Two miles an hour. Can I give you folks a little marital counseling? Can I do that this morning? Is that, is that fair enough? I know it's not part of the topic. Let me give you a little marital counseling. I can guarantee you that in your marriage, in your relationship, if you guys have been together for any length of period of time at all, you have bumped into mountains. You've run into struggles of one form or another. Now, I can also guarantee you that with every mountain that you have run into as a couple, one or the other of you has always been able to ride ahead. Because we don't come in, we don't hit these things with the same scars, do we? We don't bring the same baggage, the same past experiences. And we run into these things, sometimes it's a more of a struggle for one than it is for the other. And one of us is always able to just ride on ahead and leave the other back to struggle along. Here's my counseling for you. Don't do that. 
Don't leave your spouse back there. Is it going to do you any good to get on ahead anyway? Still going to want to wait for him. Stay back and ride with him. You might help them a little bit. You might help them to get over that mountain a little quicker. This is what she does for me. And honestly, folks, I'm not just talking about riding bicycles, okay? Darla stays back and she rides with me. Two miles an hour. Making her ride harder so I don't ride alone. Seven miles to the top, but I can't think of seven miles. You ever been in that situation? You are facing something. You can't even think about the end of it because it's just too un incomprehensible. You have to break it down to something you can digest, something that you can deal with. For me on that day, quarter mile. Quarter mile. If I can push this bike a quarter of a mile, I'm stopping. Hey, and I'm not making any promises about whether I'm going to go the next quarter mile either. I just need to go the, this quarter mile. Okay, I'll go the next and I'm pushing these quarter miles, and before long, I'm feeling this incredible burn in my elbow. Now, the only thing that even distracts me a little bit from the burn in the elbow is this amazing ache I'm getting in my shoulder. And what's happening is every time I'm pushing forward on my crank, the shoulder is aching. And then when I come around the other side and start pulling on the crank, it burns my elbow, and I can't get my mind off of it. I need distraction. I go to Scripture. Scripture. It might be a good point for me to remind you to read your Bibles, folks. Not only read your Bibles, how about practicing a little Scripture, memorizing some Scripture, writing it on the tablets of your heart? Because I'll tell you what, Scripture, the Word of God, is going to help you take the next step more times than you can imagine. But I also need to tell you, nine times out of ten, when you're in that position that you need to take that next step, when you're really up against a wall, you're at the, almost the point of quitting, Nine times out of ten, your Bible is not going to be sitting next to you. You've got to have some word in you. You've got to get some of that scripture in there to pull out. Well, well, God gave me some scripture. God, I had some memorized. I didn't memorize the whole book for crying out loud, but at least I had a few verses in there. And, I, and the one he gave me, he, he gave me, I couldn't even believe he gave it to me. It was Isaiah 40, verse 30. This is what God gives me when I'm pedaling up the side of this mountain. It goes, even youth grow weary and tired. That's supposed to help me? Even youth grow weary and tired? But, but you know, I thought about it. Well, what, what's that all about, God? Oh, I know. See, I was thinking it was, my, it was my age. That's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling right now. That's why I'm hurting. That's why I'm aching. That's why I want to give up. It's my age. I'm in my 50s. Why didn't I try doing this when I was in my 30s or 20s or something reasonable, right? But God is saying, hey, it's not your age. This is not about your age. In fact, folks in this room, it's nothing is about your age in regard to serving God. If you're still breathing, everybody check the person next to them, make sure they're still breathing. Okay. Okay, everybody's still breathing, right? If you are still breathing, God is not done with you. God has a function. God has a purpose. God has something for you to do on this planet for his kingdom. Do not use your age as an excuse to sit it out. Seek what he wants you to do. 
If you're feeling weary and tired, just remember, even youth grow weary and tired. It doesn't give them a reason to quit either. Even youth grow weary and tired. That same verse, that same uh, verse 30 goes on and says, young men stumble and fall. Okay, I'm thinking, what's the connection on this one, God? Young men stumble and fall. And it brought me back to when I was a young man. When I was a young man. When I was 21 years old. I stumbled out of a tavern one night, got into a car and began to make my way home. On the way home, the car went off the road and hit a power pole. I got out of the car, I wasn't hurt, and I stumbled up onto the highway not realizing that there were power lines waiting for me. My left arm made contact with those power lines. I fell on my knees. I fell on my knees. 12,500 volts of electricity came through my arm and then through my body and exploded my knees away into the ground. I collapsed. I fell forward. I lay across the rest of the wires, and they continued to burn the front of my body. I woke up in a hospital in Seattle the next morning and would spend the next six months of my life there. Very first morning, the doctor asked me to sign a release to amputate my left arm. It was burned crisp and curled up from fingertip to elbow the last time I saw it. He'd be back in the room two weeks later to ask me to sign the release to amputate my right leg. Kept my left one for several months before giving it up. During that six-month period, they skin-grafted the front of my body. I got out of the hospital, went right back out onto the same road that brought me in there. I mean, not the same physical road. I mean, not, I'm, you know, speaking symbolically here now. Went back to the parties, the drinking, the drugs. When I speak in our high schools, which I still do more times than you can imagine, when I speak to our teenagers, what I tell them is, when you get on that road, when you get on that road, you know, the parties, the drinking, the drugs, that road never spirals up. That road really only spirals down. A few years later, I'm dying on this garbage, and I'm surrounded by the weakest friends I've ever had in my life. What I really needed was a strong friend, and I met one. I meet this strong friend. This friend made me real. I admitted I had a problem, and I asked for help, and this strong friend took me by the hand to get help. And this strong friend took me to a church, a church on Sunday morning. I looked around, I thought, this is a joke. What kind of, seriously, don't be offended, but seriously. <laughs> what kind of help am I going to get in a place like this? I got to the back row, I said, this is far enough, far enough. Got out of my wheelchair, plopped myself down on the back row, got my little attitude going. My strong friend just sat down next to me. You see, my strong friend knew 
that God was actually powerful enough to reach the back of a church. In fact, you guys want good news? You want some good news this morning? God is powerful enough to reach wherever you are. I don't care how many times you've fallen. I don't care. Light of Christ shining in people's lives. Because my theory is, and I'm, I'm going to stick by it, my theory is that his light shines brightest in the darkest places. And those kind of places where the whisper of his name will illuminate the room. And I've been in places too where we, we have to shout his name to get any light at all. but God is powerful enough to reach you. I'm sitting in the back row of a church on a Sunday morning. The man said something I could not ignore. He said, God loves you and accepts you just as you are. <laughs> Man, that was, the, that was the biggest miracle I'd ever heard. Oh, not that God could love and accept those other people. Come on, this is Sunday morning church. Look around you, look around you. These are really lovable people. I don't know if you, how you look at them, but these, these, you are really lovable people. Anybody on this planet can love you. But that's not what that man said that morning. He said, God loved and accepted me just as I am. Every scar that I have and everything that I have lost and every wrong road that I have ever been on, God knew about. And he loved me anyway. He loved me so much he'd send his son, Jesus Christ, take the form of a man, walk the dirt of this earth, live a sinless life, just to go to a cross so that I wouldn't have to pay the price for my sins sitting in the back row of the church. I don't want to hear this stuff. But a rotten thing about only having one hand is when you only have one hand, you only get to cover one ear. <laughs> it didn't matter, folks, because I'd quit listening with my ears and I listened with my heart. And by the end of that message, that man asked a very simple question. He said, is there anybody here that knows they need to be forgiven of their sins and reconciled with their heavenly father? 
washed and cleansed and made whole. And I sat in the back row of that church and I looked at my life. I destroyed it. I'd burned it up, I'd run it to the ground, I'd brought it to the brink of nothing. And I thought, God wants this life. God wants this miserable, pathetic life. If he wants it, he can have it. Oh, don't think highly of me, folks. I wasn't giving him anything. But I got a little courage, and I raised a shaky hand in the back of a church and said, I need Jesus. And that morning, I came down to that altar, and I prayed, and I asked God into my heart. And I asked him to forgive me and to wash me and cleanse me. And I stood up from there as a whole man, completely whole. And I know, I don't, I don't have any legs, but you know, what makes me whole was never in my shoes anyway. In my heart. And there's a place in my heart like every one of yours that only Jesus Christ can fill. And I understand, folks, we're, we're, we've lived some life. Some of us have wasted a lot of time putting other things in that place. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we'll admit every time we do that, we end up being disappointed. We end up feeling like a failure. I put Jesus Christ right back where he belonged, right in the middle of my heart, and I began to follow him. He's never left. He's never failed. And now I'm following Jesus. I begin to follow Jesus. You know what, folks? He didn't take me to get drunk. When I'm following Jesus, he didn't lead me out to get stoned. I was able to put those things away. I put those things behind me. Six months later, I'm back at that same church, very same church, only not the back row this time, right up front. Oh, not the front row. I mean, right up front. Standing right up front. Only this time, I did bring my friend off the back row. I brought her down to the front of the church, and I married her. Still can't even talk about her without smiling. And we begin to follow Jesus together. We get married. We, God gives us children. God gives us a, a, a full-time ministry, and we're following Jesus around the country. We're following Jesus around the world. Next thing I know, we're following Jesus up Snoqualmie Pass on bicycles, right? And it was Memorial Day weekend, and there were a lot of cars out on there. They were, in fact, there was actually a somewhat of a traffic jam going up Snoqualmie Pass out on the freeway. Cars were going by slowly. I'm in my own thought. Yes, yes, even young men stumbled and fall. I remember that, God. Oh, Lord God, I remember that. And I'm doing, I'm in my own thoughts, and all of a sudden I hear somebody shout out, give up! You'll never make it! And I snap out of my thoughts, I look, and there's this young guy hanging out the window of a car, going up I-90 out of the freeway, taunting me. <laughs> give up! You'll never make it! <laughs> I'm thinking, Really? You don't have a clue. He thought that was the toughest mountain I'd ever faced in my life. I don't even think Snoqualmie Pass rates in the top five toughest things I've ever done in my life. He doesn't know what God has brought me through in the past. It's, yeah, that's, and that's the best he had. I'm sorry, that's the best he had. Give up, you'll never make it. 
Really? I tell you what, folks, don't let their taunting ever stop you. Don't let their mocking discourage you. Because I know behind every taunt, behind every mock, there is a person that says, man, I wish I could do it. Wish I had the guts. Wish I had the courage to even be out there where he is right now. But all I can do is try to taunt him because I can't deal with the way I feel about me. I tell you what, he made the next quarter mile really easy. <laughs> In a quarter mile, quarter mile, Snoqualmie Pass, one mile. Man, now I can get a hold of it. You know what I'm talking about? Now I can think about the finish. Half mile. We pull off to the exit. It's still a quarter mile to the top, but the exit is right there. The kids are waiting for me. Darda's waiting for me. We freshen up because we know there's cameras waiting up at the top of the hill. There's a crowd up there. We, they, they made a big fuss about us doing this across America back in 08, the, the TV and all that stuff. And, we knew they were going to be waiting at the top of the mountain because it was still close to Seattle. We tried to ignore that, but we did kind of freshen up, clean our faces up a bit, tried to put on our smiles. From the first mile when we started up that morning, 21 miles ago, 21 and three-quarter miles ago, after that first mile, I, I, I was never in front. I mean, everybody, I watched them, my family go up ahead of me. Let's get going. Go ahead. Get going. miles to go. <laughs> but you know what, folks? When you finish that first peak, you know, when you do that first challenge, when you just face it and get through it, the next ones aren't going to scare you as bad, are they? What brought me up that last quarter mile, even more than anything else, those last few miles with, this, with this, where the scripture goes, it, it, if we just stop with young men stumble and fall, that's not enough in our lives. That's just admitting that we've made mistakes. You got to go to verse 31. That's when Isaiah said that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings, just like eagles. Oh, man, they're going to run, not grow weary. They're going to walk and not grow faint. I recited that verse over and over in my head more times coming up that mountain than you want to know because that is where the power is. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 